What is going on guys and welcome to episode two of Listen Whilst You Step and today we have a very special guest on. We've got my brother from another mother, Mr. Johnny Glenn Denning. Honestly, me and this kid have grown up from the age of, oh God, I don't even know what, how old, must have been like year, <laughs> year six, year seven, so what's that? No, before that, mate, you before came to that. rugby in under 10. Pens, under 10, so yeah, we'll, we'll say 10. And to be honest, I actually remember the day we met, mate. Johnny was there having an asthma attack on the side of the pitch. I didn't even know him, but Johnny was like the kid who was absolutely sick at rugby. No one could touch him. And I remember him having an asthma attack on the side of the pitch and just running over to his dad like, Johnny's dad, Johnny's dad, Johnny's having an asthma attack. <laughs> and yeah, it all started from there. And then ever since there, we went to the same secondary school, same forms, literally everything. Actually, my dad and Johnny's dad are best mates as well. They just love chopping <laughs> logs together, the freaking weirdos. Um, but yeah, Johnny's been a massive part of my life and literally um, it's been super cool to get him on. So I'm not going to blow his trumpet too much. I'm going to hand it over to him now just to kind of do a little bit of an introduction about himself. Yeah, so basically, as you said, we kind of grew up together um, pretty much from the age of like nine onwards. Um, but as you said, like our biggest things in our life that definitely connected us was always our sport. Um, no matter what we were doing, it was always something like rugby, swimming, golf, tennis, uh, whatever it was kind of thing, even though some of those sports you were better than me at, <laughs> namely the tennis. You were better than me, man. <laughs> yeah, um, but that was always kind of the common thread, uh, definitely of us two, it was always that competitive kind of nature between us. But yeah, like I said, um, we kind of grew up always doing similar sports and pretty much we were always towards the top um, whatever sport kind of we chose um, and I think for us definitely as we got a bit older it was definitely rugby was our kind of main sport as we got older and older I know for you you had your tennis as well mm -hmm. um, that soon went to the wayside <laughs> yeah we, we, we decided to quit that and just kind of concentrate on tennis I concentrate on rugby, my bad. I was about to say, yeah. yeah. Um, especially after coming to watch you like play tennis and stuff, I remember vividly, uh, on, like, I think first couple of years of knowing you, was going to watch you play tennis and just the aggression you had. <laughs> Rackets were being snapped in half. Tennis, <laughs> tennis balls were being launched over uh, Lazorm. <laughs> yeah, mate, honestly, I think back about that now. And for everyone who doesn't know, I used to, obviously I played loads of tennis, like a reasonable standard. And my mum was actually the referee for one of the tournaments. The amount of warnings my own mum gave me, point deduction, game deductions, it was horrendous. Um, but yeah, mate, I'll never forget the first time we played tennis together and I hit a kick serve to you. And he goes to hit this forehand. He misses the ball and whack, just smacked himself straight in the forehead with this uh, racket. And I've never creased myself so hard. Oh, it was you and it was you and Stuart there that day, and yeah, <laughs> didn't I thought this was just going to be a nice knockabout like game of tennis, like nice and good, and then of course it's you and Stuart, literally number one and number two in the island, and I was like, what on earth have I got myself into? <laughs> no, it was good fun. Um, but anyway, obviously, like we grew up together and everything like that. You're now coming on and working with me in aesthetic strength and things like that. Um, why don't you tell everyone a little bit about how you kind of got into your coaching and you kind of where you went through uni and got into kind of more of the kind of gym environment of everything? Yeah, so kind of as we were saying, like rugby was as soon as rugby was like in our heads as our priority or in my head as my priority, it was one of those things of right, what can I do now to make sure I get in the best position, like to do my dream of like become a professional rugby player kind of thing. 
So, of course, first thing on, in my head and parents kind of was right, all the pro rugby players, they're all doing strength conditioning. Um, so that was kind of where I started. And then I was lucky enough, because I was playing county-level rugby, um, to get picked up the Jersey Sport Foundation. Um, so that's where kind of my S&C kind of experience kind of started, was with John Scriven um, and the rest of the coaches kind of there. Um, and it was just a case of come as many times during the week as you want. There's three sessions on a Monday um, or a Tuesday, a Thursday and a Saturday session. Do whatever you want. And I started off going twice a week. And then I think after the first yeah. month, I was both, going three, both three of us times there, a week. We were there every single session. Every session we could get hold of, we went to. Uh, so that's definitely where it kind of all began. Um, and as I said, then as I went through like rugby career, like SC was always a massive part of it. Um, so I always enjoyed like having getting in the gym, getting strong kind of thing because you saw the results out on the pitch, um, which definitely kind of helped, especially when you're bigger, faster than the other guys. Um, you could definitely see that, and then it kind of, kind of manifested from there. It kind of got to that age where, um, finished school thought what do I do next and when oh well I'll go to university and of course in my head I was like well I have no idea what I like yeah. the only thing I kind of liked doing was rugby or my strength conditioning in the gym so it kind of rolled from there and I found degrees online that actually did strength conditioning um, so went down for a couple of visits I went to Hartbury and Cardiff Met um, and eventually decided on Cardiff Met um, so I went there, did my degree for three years. Um, so my degree was uh, sports conditioning, which is strength conditioning, um, rehabilitation and massage. Um, so within that degree, um, I got a level five sports massage therapist, which is basically the top qualification what you can get for uh, sports massage therapy. Um, and like I said, from that, I also got loads of like really cool experiences, such as Welsh triathlon. Um, I was an intern coach there for part of my time at university. Um, so that's where really my passion really, really grew for it. Um, and definitely kind of having the lectures and the knowledge behind of it um, really made it more and more interesting for me. And then definitely within this last year, kind of finished my degree and thought, right, what do I do next? Do I want to get a job? Not really. <laughs> I definitely enjoyed uni too much. So I thought, right, well, I'll go back and do a master's, um, which for me was probably needed because at that point I knew I wanted to be a strength conditioning coach. Um, and we had strength conditioning coaches come in from top teams um, in the country kind of thing. And they all said, in order to get a job now, you need a master's qualification. It's kind of the basic requirement. So it wasn't really a choice in the end. I was like, well, I have to go get it if I really want to achieve, kind of get to the top levels of elite sport uh, and strength conditioning. So I went back this year, did my master's, um, but quickly kind of decided that I just didn't, I preferred the gym more than I preferred the rugby. Um, and it got to that point where I was getting so beaten up from the rugby, so many concussions, um, and I just wasn't enjoying it as much. Um, so I definitely thought, especially with more injuries, I had a groin surgery, tore my groin off the bone. Um, so I thought, well, I really enjoy the gym stuff. So let's move to more towards powerlifting, bodybuilding kind of training, um, get my master's done. 
So that's what literally I've been doing this year is doing my masters. Um, luckily, just before lockdown happened with the coronavirus, like I managed to get all my lectures finished. Um, so I've just been doing my exams online for the last couple of months and I've just got my dissertation to finish, um, which is in for March. So not too bad. Um, and if anyone's interested in that, I've got in my dissertation is an evaluation of the best performance indicator for maximal acceleration. Um, something that's quite boring, um, but it's something I've been asked to do by one of my lecturers, which is kind of cool. Um, so that's kind of my journey um, from going from that rugby player all the way up um, to my master's degree now. And of course, at the beginning of this year, well, a couple months ago, got asked to come onto the team um, and I'm yeah, really, man. really enjoying it so far. Yeah, I think it's, I think it's super awesome because I think we both bring quite like a, a unique side of things. You coming from more like the, the strength and conditioning, you've done your, your high level education, everything like that. So you're very kind of textbook smart and things like that. Whereas I feel like because I came down more the personal training route of things. I've done a lot of time in the tre- trenches and the kind of the practical um, application of everything, putting us both together. It kind of gives us an awesome perspective to be able to really, really train clients very, very well. And I hope that our results kind of show that. Um, so yeah, mate, honestly, it, it's a pleasure to have you on the tree, on the dream, on the uh, team. Hmm. And like we kind of said, I was a bit kind of scared to kind of start mixing business and pleasure. And I said this to you when we first started, um, cause I just didn't want to ruin a friendship over anything, but at the same time, it's so cool to be able to build something with like literally your best mate, your brother from another mother. Um, and I'm excited where the next kind of months and years are going to take us. I'm excited for where your career is going to go in the whole S and C kind of industry as well. Um, but now we've got a good kind of introduction on who you are where you've come from and where you're going and things like that. Let's go on to the kind of main topic of today's podcast. And that's just going to be kind of the biggest mistakes that we've both made in our lifting careers, sporting careers, training careers, whatever you want to call it, just the biggest mistakes we've made over the years. Because honestly, I wish that I had had something like this podcast or I knew about something like this podcast when I was a little bit younger, we had very, very good influences, but I think we still made some big mistakes, which could have been avoided if we had something like this. So it's awesome to be able to kind of put this out there for people to listen about um, and kind of hopefully not make the mistakes that we did so that they can get to where we are and further quicker and easier than we did. Um, I'll kick us off. And honestly, I think the first kind of the, one of the main mistakes that I made was the whole kind of eat big to get big thing. The, the seafood diet, as in you see it, you eat it. And we both, I think we both made this mistake in the past where we just literally like, we thought eating more and just getting heavier on the scales equaled getting stronger, adding more muscle. And it just really isn't the case. Um, and because we did that, we both blew up to like over a hundred kilos, which at five foot nothing <laughs> is, is, is heavy. And both of us, my love handles did not like me. and you like the, your chin had disappeared. Yeah, um, didn't it just merged into one? <laughs> um, but yeah, it just resulted in us having to run massive cuts and things like that. And we actually didn't spend any time at kind of maintenance or in a very small surplus. So we just kind of, I feel like we wasted a lot of time kind of yo yoing in and out of kind of dreamer bulks, which is gaining loads of body fat, trying to strip it down, gaining loads of body fat, trying to strip it down, rather than just being a bit more conservative with things and getting on with it and getting a lot more out of it? Like, I think 100% on that. And for me, that's probably my most recent mistake, especially when I was at my early kind of years of university. 
Um, I vividly remember like me walking into a room, like a massive plate of chili with massive plate of rice, um, like a massive bag of Doritos. And the boys just looked at me like, are you really going to eat that? And I was like, yeah, I was like, I really just want to get big. And of course you get sucked into that kind of vacuum of, well, I'm getting big. Yes. Um, and the numbers are skyrocketing in the gym, which they will. But as we've kind of said, the problem with that is that when you get to that stage where you kind of want to trim down and you need to trim down, it takes you twice, three times as long as it should, which in actual fact, as you kind of alluded to there, was saying that, well, you get to that point and you have to cut for so long. Like we were doing like six months cuts kind of thing. Yeah. And you've had to cut for six months, which you could have done that half that time, which meant you could have had another three months in a surplus. And as we kind of know, the surplus is the best kind of place to build uh, muscle tissue kind of thing, mm -hmm. which is why you want to be in that surplus for as long as possible. And I say that's kind of the biggest mistake we've kind of made is almost our eyes have been too big um, for our stomach kind of thing. We've <laughs> gone, oh yeah, weight on the bar, like loads of food. I feel great. Yeah, But in actual fact, like it's just counterproductive. Um, as you said, we could have just eaten less, just a slight in a slight surplus, like a 200 calorie surplus. Probably be lifting pretty similar numbers. Um, but like I said, like then when you cut down, you do it for half the time and then you're boom, you're straight back into it and you're lifting bigger numbers again. Um, so here's that thing of big mistake of definitely eating big to get big. Yeah, just... Like, I think as well, it's also how shit you can feel with it. Like, I know, like, looking back at it now, when I was 102 kilos, mate, I slept all the time. I woke up, I trained clients, I trained, I slept. I just, I, I wasn't productive. I wasn't energetic or anything like that. And how can your training performance be as optimal as you want it to be when you're feeling like that? Um, mate, I remember so clearly going into freaking like college with, do you know, the walls big, like two liter ice cream tubs, yeah, <laughs> just full of food. And I would just sit there and demolish it. I would eat a packet of 12 Weetabix for breakfast. <laughs> like, sit, silly one of those foods. Ben and Jerry diets, mate. Ben and Jerry's every night. <laughs> yeah. Da Danny's favorite. <laughs> um, but yeah, it's just not needed. And when we kind of look at your training age, people say, oh yeah, I'm a, I'm an intermediate, I'm an advanced lifter. And I heard, uh, I think it was Jeff Albert speak about this. We actually spoke about this mm. the other week saying, mm. okay, right. It, for you to be like an intermediate or high level intermediate trainee, you have to be a training kind of three to five years, something like that, I would say. But mm. out of that three to five years, how much time have you actually spent at maintenance or in a slight surplus? For me, mm. it's fuck all. Like realistically, I cut. We were saying it would probably be a matter of maybe two, eighteen two, months. Eighteen months, two months, years tops. Two, yeah, around two up. year mark kind of thing. And you're yeah. just like realistic. That's nothing at all. Continuing, we've been doing it since what age twelve, thirteen kind of thing. Yeah. So exactly. Ten years, and realistically, we've only been in that kind of good period of training for two years. Yeah, so <laughs> I, I, I wouldn't like. We're we're both fairly strong, and we've put up some respectable numbers and things like that. But I still wouldn't consider myself an advanced trainee or trainee. Like I, I still consider myself intermediate to a high level of intermediate. So it just goes to show that, oh, well, this is kind of moving on to some other stuff. But if you're not an advanced trainee, you don't need advanced methods. Like do your basics. Um, but yeah, let, let's just touch and give people some kind of takeaways in terms of the Dreamer Bulk so that they know some numbers of where, how quickly they should be gaining. Like I'll let you kind of run with this. 
um, what is the kind of rate of gain that people should be looking to gain body weight if they are running a, a quote unquote gain or get lean gaining phase or whatever you want to call it? So again, it all depends on like your level. Um, so if you're a beginner, you, what you'll find is most people will probably gain anywhere from one and a half to 3% a month. So for instance, yes. So for instance, if you're an 80 kilo male or 80 kilo person, that means you want to aim between somewhere between um, uh, 1.4 kilo or 1.6 kilo, sorry, um, all the way up. um, Two and a half-ish. One and a half half to two and a half kilos a month. That's not a week, guys. Yeah, that's the thing. It rapidly changes. You kind of go from that cut where it's 1% a week and yeah. then to a bulk, it's 1% a month. Um, much, much. So it's much slower. So that's for an intermediate, uh, for a beginner, sorry. Then for an intermediate, it's going to come back. So anywhere, we talked about it again, anywhere One, from probably two. about 1% to 2% um, a month, again, is about what you want. And then if you're more advanced, like the top end, like bodybuilder guides, they're going to be game anywhere from 0.5% to 1% a month. Very, very slow, Which very is- small literally nothing guys like even if you're a hundred even if you're a hundred kilos which is freaking big like if you're a hundred kilos and fairly lean that's you only gaining half a kilo to a kilo a month it's really not that quick but trust me when i say it if you spend that 12 months 18 months two years in that lean gaining phase you will see like you you will completely transform your physique and your strength numbers will skyrocket okay just don't get caught up in the eat big to, to get big like we did. Um, I'll let, so that will kind of close on that one. I think there's a, a good few takeaways for people who can get there. I'll let you kind of run with the next one. What's your next biggest mistake, bud? Uh, I would say probably like from a training point of view now is looking at more um, kind of types of training. We did for rugby, we were given this type of training program called a juggernaut um, training program. Uh, for anyone who doesn't know, this is a savage, but it's where basically every single set on you absolutely go to failure. Um, the on every single exercise, like last set, doesn't matter what it was. Um, and it peaks. So the first four weeks you have uh, 10 reps. Yeah. Then the next four weeks you have eight. Then the next four weeks you have five. And then the next four weeks you have three. Mm. Um, so it kind of periodizes kind of through and it tailors it down. So you get nice and strong. Um, but this training method we did at quite a young age, especially when our bodies were still forming and developing. Um, so for me, like this cures massive, like injuries, like in my groin, especially now, um, as I said, like I've had surgeries now off it. Um, but this type of training literally ruined my body, um, just because it was max out failure, like every session, four set, four sessions a week, um, every single time. And I think we did the session. Uh, this training anyway for a good year year and a half um, and this wasn't stuff that we wanted to do it was stuff we were set to do um, mm. but it just was a massive mistake because it's caused all these injuries and all these problems going forward that realistically if I wasn't injured like we said before we're in that optimal range to train and to get bigger so I could have got loads bigger and stronger if I wasn't spending six months out of the year injured. trying to rehab my groin 
Yeah, mate, we both had enough freaking bad injuries. Um, like, yeah, I, that kind of falls into something I was going to say as well. It's just kind of falling for the fucking bullshit fads that are out there, both in trainings and in, and in terms of nutrition. We'll, we'll keep going on the training side of things. It's like, it's not just juggernaut. It's also people just going and downloading the latest fitness influence freaking training program, which isn't specific to you. Yes, I understand there are basic principles and things like that and basics that people have to get done. But try and get something that is at least somewhat tailored to you. Don't just go in and run with anything that's out there because there is so much shit out there. It's unbelievable. Um, like we've done some ridiculous, like there's things like GVT, German high volume training, where you've got mm. 10 sets of 10. The biggest thing that I learned was like, you're only as good as the work you can recover from. And you, can, if you're training hard enough, you cannot recover from that. The thing with Juggernaut was it was one that was bringing like crazy intensity because we were always training to a failure, which you can do. You can train intensely and you can train fucking hard. But if you're going to do that, the amount of actual work that you do has to be dramatically decreased so that you can actually recover from it. Juggernaut is both. Yeah. It's five That's sets. Thing. It was massive volume. Yeah, like you said, five sets. It's five sets of 10 bench, five sets of 10 squat, five sets of 10 deadlift, five sets of 10 overhead press, all to failure. Like, literally. And I say, as I kind of alluded to as well when I was saying, um, it was just at the wrong age as well. Um, As you say, like, you can have intensity techniques and they are good, but it depends on the individual and where they are. So for me, being at a young age, your body's still developing, still forming. Um, you shouldn't be doing it when you're, we were more probably beginners then. Where now we're more towards like intermediate to advanced. So if you're smart about it, you can do it. Um, but it's something like you shouldn't be doing like when you're beginning like your journey. Yeah. It goes down to what we always say to our, our coaching clients and our clients and things like that. It's train at the level you are. If you're only ready for level one, don't go to level five. Go to level one, tick that box, go to level two, tick that box, go to level three, tick that box. If you take the path that you should and tick the boxes that you need to be, you will get so much more out of everything and you will see results like nothing else. But if you're not, you you don't, it's the classic, don't run before you can walk. Okay. It's literally just stick to your basics. Don't overcompensate stuff. Get more out of less. I think everyone is, um, this comes on to my next one. We'll just kind of roll into this one. And my next one was thinking that more is always better. It's not. There's this big stigma for everyone that is around kind of, oh, I can do 10 sets of 10 on a 300 kilo leg press. Well done, but you've just wrecked yourself for the next week and you can't train for another 10 days. Like, like if you can get, I think people should have a stigma about, oh yeah, I'm seeing crazy results of only doing two sets. Amazing, because you've got so much room to progress over the next like people mm-hmm. brag about, oh, I managed to hit, eat this little calories and things like that. Like try and get more from less. Like, I don't know why you wouldn't. <laughs> That's the thing. I think, as you said, like everything's so individualized. Like why should you take something that someone else has worked for? It might not necessarily work for you. Just because plowing someone with loads of volume is work for them doesn't mean it's going to work for you. Mm-hmm. Um, but I'd say also on that, um, is that especially when you're more beginner to intermediate, you don't necessarily understand your technique as the same time as going to failure. Yeah. Um, and it's that really big thing kind of we always say is one rep won't make you, but one rep, rep will break you. Um, and what kind of we mean by that is when you're a beginner or intermediate, 
you push into absolute failure, the muscles, the tendons haven't been training long enough to kind of withstand that pressure and to know where actual failure is. Um, so what you tend to find is beginning intermediate habits, they more get injured from this rather than actually making good progression. Yeah. Honestly, like we, we were super lucky with one pound initiation and things like that. There was such a big emphasis in our first anywhere from well a year or two years of coaching that your technique must be perfect before you can even stick a barbell on your back. Then you have to mm. prove that you can do three sets of five with perfect technique before you can put a two and a half on each side. Then from there, you just stick another two and a half and another two and a half and another two and a half. Don't just jump in and go, right, I'm going to stick 25s on each side and just do it because my freaking ego. Like, go mm -hmm. tick your boxes and it will just help you in the long run so much. I think that's the massive thing as well. Everyone always thinks I can chuck two and a half kilos on, but <laughs> do really people take enough time to go back and go, is my technique on point? How can it be better? What can I be doing? And really break it down further. Because as I say, there's not only progression on the bar, there's also progression in your technique. Yeah, and like even like us having such a good background, like our techniques are night and day compared to kind of what they were, um, kind of ten years ago when we started. Yeah, too right, and e and even now we both have sets where we're like, oh, that was not good enough. And I think the best tool, the best tool for that is a phone. Freaking record your sets and watch them back. I I'll get like a prime example of me. The other week I watched my set of hat squats back, and I was like, come on, Simon, that shit's not deep enough. So what did I do? I just kept the weight the same had a word with myself and made sure next week I went in and sorted that out. I recorded it to make sure, went back, assess it. Brilliant. Now I've nailed that. Form is tighter. I've hit sets at the top of the rep range. Now let's progress it. It's just about being objective. And we, we always say it to each other. What would you say to someone in that situation? Like, come on, your technique shit, like sort it out, mate. Like just take you, take yourself out of your own body and imagine what you would say to someone. If you saw someone doing freaking half squats or quarter squats or whatever, yeah, you'd be like, yeah, you'd be like, what, what, what are you doing? You mate? Have, have, a, have a word of yourself, literally, <laughs> wouldn't you? Um, so yeah, I, th I think the biggest one from that is just kind of don't fall to, don't fall to fads. Um, uh, look at something that is tailored to you and remember that more isn't always better. Try and get more from less. If you can get more from less, amazing. Run with it. Milk out all the progression that you can. And then when you kind of milked out all that progression, just bring in something else. When you've milked out all of that progression, bring in something else. It, it's super simple. Don't overcomplicate things. Um, mm -hmm. yeah, I'll, I'll let I you think run, also run, run, run. on that is like we're talking about fads and stuff. It's like the dietary fads. Yeah. Um, that you see people <laughs> go through. Um, right, I know you're more victim than me um, to this. Yeah, sure. Um, but it's one of those things where everyone's like, oh, so keto diet, um, like what? why is it work? What's the differences? Um, like the carnival diet, like all these people go to Cambridge. There's every freaking diet known to man out there, man. I think, and yeah. the I person, like the, for me, it really like, brought it all together when i was like oh well i don't really know why is go look at a guy called lane norton um if you guys really want to learn something he's probably the best guy out there for it and he, at the end of the day he just says all it's doing is just reducing your calories um whatever it is like keto you're taking out certain like food whatever the diet is it's taking out certain food groups which is just going to reduce your calories overall and that's kind of the biggest thing to it yeah, I, I definitely fell harder to kind of victim, like the fad diets and things like that. I think that's more, I think the, the present behind that is kind of, I think as a kid, 
you were probably naturally more the skinnier kid who struggled to put weight on. I think I was the other end of the spectrum. I was the kid who struggled to keep weight off. Not that I was big or anything like that, but I had to kind of watch what I ate a bit more. So I was much more interested in, in my nutrition at a kind of earlier age. And back then, the, the big thing was the kind of paleo diet. And honestly, mate, it's, it's horrendous. And I would never recommend it to anyone unless that's something that you really enjoy. Um, at the end of the day, my, my, my opinion on nutrition is people overcomplicate shit so much. If you like doing paleo, do fucking paleo. If you like doing intermittent fasting, do intermittent fasting. Mm. In my eye, bar energy balance being the number one driver, before that is cons- adher- adherence and consistency. Okay? And without adherence and consistency, you will not get anywhere. It is that simple. Okay? Find what works for you. And what works for me isn't going to work for Johnny. Okay? Mm. Or isn't going to work for the next person. Isn't going to work for the listener. Find what works for you run with it if it works brilliant if it doesn't reassess try something different but just the all the fads are called a fad for a reason all these bullshit fads come and go over the years and years and years there's millions cambridge diet five two diet british heart foundation carnivore blah 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 blah. herbal life don't start me on fucking don't. <laughs> <laughs> um but yeah there's so many and in my opinion what does everything come back to everything in moderation yeah <laughs> literally do you base that thing do your freaking basics honestly uh i i could that that's one of my biggest kind of about the fitness industry is the kind of nutritional fads out there um but enough on that mate Let, uh let's start with another one let's run you can go give me another one uh i think up until kind of the last i'd say up until probably a year and a bit ago i'd say kind of my biggest things was more around when I was eating meals and what I was eating, like distribution of time, uh, distribution of like protein, but distribution of like when I was eating as well. Like I was kind of always when I was younger, I never had a big breakfast. I'd always have like a late breakfast, kind of more intermittent fasting kind of thing, even though I wasn't trying to do it. It's just, just how, like, it just suited me at the time. Worked, wasn't it? Yeah. Um, I wouldn't really have a big breakfast, have like something small for lunch and then just have a massive dinner. Um, always at my house kind of thing it was mum would cook something and then it would just oh, be yeah. like a massive <laughs> full plate of food Your mum which then of course star. meant yeah which of course when you actually look back at it now you're like well you're almost starving yourself all day to have a big meal in the evening um, and like I said the biggest thing with that for me was like well I really wasn't eating pro- my protein distribution really wasn't good um, really looking back and thinking about it um it was more like probably 10 grams 10 grams 10 grams and then probably like 150 like 120 grams of protein all in one like meal and of course kind of everything we know now is that you just don't um absorb protein like that you can only really absorb anywhere from 20 to 40 grams of protein like in a meal kind of thing um so kind of that was the biggest mistake for me um was just not really thinking about how I'm distributing my food. Um, and like I said, that also caused me to go catabolic during the day um, because I wasn't eating a lot for breakfast and for lunch. It just meant that I was really getting those kind of points where I was feeling really down and lethargic kind of and dull. Yeah. And just not able kind of to be active, of course, across the whole of the day. 
Yeah, so performance drops, neat drops, how active you are drops. I think uh, another thing on that as well is in terms of like your hunger, we, with our clients, we use something called the hunger scale. So if we imagine on one end of the spectrum, you've got the number one. Number one is literally you are so hungry, you could eat a fucking horse. Like you could eat everything in sight. 10 being you're so full, you physically want to be sick. If you let yourself get, in Johnny's case, too low on that hunger scale, you really are just setting yourself up to go and binge to go and want to eat everything in sight. Okay. Yeah. We really want to try and keep ourselves kind of between like a, a, a three and a seven or three and a six, something like that. Because that means that we're never going to go and want to eat everything in sight. And if we let ourselves get too high on that scale, we're probably overeating. It's that simple. Um, so I think that's important, but as well as kind of the binging, I do like, I know like we, but we've both had this when we've got leaner and things like that. We've, if you are like to, you, you go through binging episodes and things like that. Do you reckon that that potentially had an impact on any like kind of binge eating or anything like that now, just because it's a habit from when you were a lot younger and things? Yeah, a hundred percent. I think I do go through like no one's perfect. And then like, even like during like place points where I've cut kind of thing, um, you do sometimes slip back into old habits. And I definitely yeah. did it uh, three or four times, like on this last one where you do think, ah, like, it's all right. I'll just have a little thing. And then you go, well, I'm still absolutely starving. Let's have another little thing. And by that time, six, you're six like, magnum, well, six magnums later. <laughs> yeah. You're like, well, I've already had a couple, like I might as well just go fill out. Like it's not going to make that much difference now. Um, so I do hundred percent think like it's just a bad habit to have. And it's, as you say, it's one, like you can easily um, help or easily kind of like put things in place to break it. Yeah. Um, such as like eating uh, every like four hours. Like I've noticed that massively within like last year, a couple of years training, like eating every like four, three to four hours has just meant then that I don't get as absolutely starving. Like mm -hmm. every meal is kind of evenly distributed over the course of the day um, so that I don't get catabolic and I don't get absolutely starving. Yeah. And then it comes into that adherence and consistency because you're not absolutely ravenous. You're more likely to stick to things. Like one of the like, kind of main takeaways I can give from that, the simplest way I can tell people to find that is assess your day. Where do you get most hungry? Do you like to eat breakfast, lunch, and dinner? And you like to have a snack in the, the kind of afternoon, or do you like to eat breakfast, lunch, dinner, and then you like a dessert? That's what I do. I like eating four meals. I like to have my breakfast, lunch, and dinner. And then for me, the evenings where I'm like, I'm hungry now, I really want something. So all I do is I take my calories. Let's just say they were 2000 just to make numbers really easy for people 2000 calories divided up into four is 500 and then i just split 500 calories for breakfast 500 calories for lunch 500 calories for dinner and 500 calories for a dessert of whatever i want that's the simplest well, way Whereas, yeah well i know like i'm a bit different so i know i hate going to be uh, bed feeling like empty or starving yeah. so i will purposely still have the like four or five meals but i will just go like 300 300 300 and then i might have like an 800 and then another 300 kind of thing so i just kind of balance out knowing that i know in the mornings i'm not as hungry but i know that i still need to eat so that i don't get absolutely starving like i said then i'll just have a few more calories later in the day when i know that i'm going to be hungry um because that's what most people kind of find yeah. that they wake up they're not particularly hungry and then it gets that evening portion and that's when everyone's sitting down they've got nothing to do because they're not working and they go right well i'm bored i'm hungry let's go get something to eat 
Yeah. It, which is it, when it, you find most people crack kind of thing. Yeah, it's coming down to fitting it back into your lifestyle and not just taking a one-size-fits-all approach. Um, if you're someone who likes to snack and nibble through the day, allow for that. Just break up your day accordingly. If you're someone who's hungry in the morning, chuck a couple hundred calories more in the morning and take them off the evening. Just work it into what you like and what fits. Um, yeah. That's a big one. Yeah, I, I really like that. And it just it comes to being kind of proactive rather than reactive. Make mm-hmm. sure you're planning ahead of things. Set yourself up for success. It's a term we, we use with our clients a lot is, we like to set you up for success but don't don't set yourself up to fail because you will fucking fail set yourself up success take some time plan shit out and then run with it and go that's the thing a bit of forward thinking just helps massively when you think about and plan it out because that's the thing when people get to it they panic and they don't really know what to do and they go oh i could have this i could have that and then they just reach for the most easiest convenient thing rather than going at the start of the week going, right, well, this is what I could have over the course of the week. And then all they have to do is just grab a meal, reheat it, and you don't have to think about it. You've done all the thinking when you're not stressed. Um, And then after your day at work where you are stressed, you don't have to think about things. You know know what you're having and things like that. Hmm. Comes back to the reasoning question. If anyone hasn't read the book called The One Thing, read it now it is a a revolutionary book and the reasoning question is what is the one thing that you could do right now that makes everything easier or unnecessary if we relate that to your nutrition what's the one thing that can make your nutrition easier or unnecessary for most people do you know what that is it's fucking meal prep okay if you do your meal prep it takes all the decision making out of it okay that way it's super easy and right. it comes back to that thing of, well, you have to adhere to it because you've already cooked it. Um, and then you're consistently eating it. Yeah, exactly. So church, guys, try that reasoning question. You can apply it to anything. What is the one thing that would make everything easier or unnecessary in my business? Okay. You can really apply that to your personal life, literally anything. And it really does work. It helps you cut past all the bullshit and stop wasting time on stuff that you're not going to get much bang for your buck. Um, but moving on to another one here, one of the, I don't think, I think early on, we both definitely didn't do this because we were so lucky to be surrounded by awesome people like John, by the way, I know John's name has been thrown around a lot and John is going to be coming on for an episode. Um, like John, like a lot of the guys at the rugby club and things like that, we definitely had some very, very good influences. Um, I think kind of coming out of that, when we kind of came out of that main environment and then we did a lot of stuff on our own. I think that people try to do too much stuff on their own. There are professionals out there. You are never the smartest person. And I was lucky enough to do some coaching with Brad Lumez from Team 3DMJ. And just having, what did I do, like six months of coaching, seven months of coaching with him, something like that. I have never learned so much because he is a leading industry expert. Like I think having help from someone who is more knowledgeable than you in the subject or has more experience is just absolutely priceless. Never think that you can just do everything on your own. Don't get me wrong. You can do it, but if you want to be optimal, you want to get from A to B as quick as possible, having help from someone who is better than you is absolutely essential. Okay. And you will, I don't think you will ever regret it, regret it as long as you invest money and time into the right people. Yeah. Like massively, I a hundred percent agree with that. Even if you don't necessarily agree, like for someone for like me, where I kind of have a bit of knowledge and a bit of know-how. Um, but as you said, there's never 
anyone you can't learn something from, even if it's something of how not to do something. Yeah. Um, which is also a really big kind of thing. As you say, you might just even take a little bit. Like I know from my like own coaching, like philosophies and stuff, I've taken little bits from different various coaches um, over like different things. So I'll, I might take something for nutrition from like a bodybuilding guy or a powerlifting person or an S&C coach. Um, so to say, it just makes me more rounded, better coach and athlete. The more places I go for information and the more things kind of you try. Yeah, big time. It, mate, it's like that in life. We, everyone has their own perspective. It's like getting as many different views and taking, putting your own spin on things. Um, but don't think that you are the smartest person in the room because you're fucking no. not. Um, yeah. And that comes to absolutely everything. And it's funny because I think the more that you learn, the more that you realize you know fuck all. <laughs> Mm. It, it, it's so true it's so true i'm sure you like going and doing your masters it just makes you kind of realize you you do know a lot about certain things but it opens up your mind to go oh my god there's so much more out there to learn and also the thing is that is like things are constantly evolving from a coaching point of view i think way too many coaches just shut their kind of they shut they put their blinkers on and they don't take or, or observe anything that happens around them stay up to date with kind of education and science or anything like that there's so much stuff evolving, like how we trained 10 years ago or how someone trained 10 years ago. You'd look back at it now and you go, what the hell were you doing, man? Because stuff changes, like keep an open mind and listen to things. Take bits that you like, try it out. If it works, great. If it doesn't work for you, try something else. It's just that constant evaluation and being open-minded and willing to listen and learn from people. I think that's massive kind of thing because something we were definitely taught like, on our like or told at our like degrees for my masters and stuff is that stuff like S and C or like strength kind of how we're reviewing it and looking into it and researching it. It's such like a new topic that actually compared to like your sciences really hasn't been looked into that much. Um, I think they said for me, like they really wanted me to, they really want me to do a PhD and stuff because they said there's so much research can be done. And they barely know anything compared to, as I said, some other topics, um, which is kind of why, as you said, it's always that thing of you need to constantly be evolving and taking on new ideas and listening and thinking about new things. Yeah. And if you're someone who isn't good at interpreting information, get help from someone who is. Mm. Ah, magical, eh? And by the way, if you ever do a PhD, I will never call you doctor. Never. <laughs> <laughs> you never know. You never know. <laughs> we will see um if i if you if i call you doctor you've got to call me king <laughs> absolutely uh, not <laughs> right mate we'll just go one more each then so do you want to run with one and then i'll finish off with one okay uh i think probably the last one probably i would go and i don't know it might be yours um but the shortest route isn't always kind of the best or the quickest route kind of thing mm. um i think this kind of covers a lot of things kind of we talked about yeah, is right. that everyone's always looking for the simplest and easiest thing or the best thing to do kind of thing and in actual facts like the slower and longer like you go i remember john like scriven always told us like go slow be a pro and it would always be <laughs> what, that what thing. phrase yeah but you can just apply that to everything like the slower you go the more you learn the better you get at it Mm -hmm. um it's something massively like to think about because at the end of the day there is although yes you can lose a lot of weight in 12 weeks you can also put on a lot of weight in 12 weeks 
and it needs to be more like of a lifestyle kind of thing um, and that there isn't just a short route um, that's going to get you there kind of thing it's a long slow process that takes years and years I think people kind of look at almost like for instance like my cut and my bulk pictures and go oh wow like that's amazing but I don't think they also realize the years and years you've put into that to do that yeah it's the whole it's the whole iceberg and tip of the iceberg effect isn't it like don't take what you see on social media as gospel like because you don't know the kind of perspective or the anything behind it like make sure you understand and don't compare yourself to others um but something which we say to our clients again is like learn to love the process if you want real kind of sustainable results no matter what your goal even if it's freaking life you want business results you want training results anything you've got to learn to love the process because if you don't love what you do you're never going to be able to stick to it and if you can't stick to it what you're not going to get you're not going to get results okay so just learn to learn to love the process and one thing that i've learned massively particularly in kind of the last two years as i did finally do my first kind of previously in the past i'd always cut too quick and always rebounded this time last time i cut cut super slowly did everything just by the letter ticked all the boxes and things like that and learned to love the process rather than trying to do it super quick and doing that I really, really, really started to build healthy habits. Now, the idea of a habit is that something becomes completely unconscious. Okay. If something becomes unconscious, it becomes easy. Like what do you do first thing when you wake up and go, you wake up, you probably go to the toilet and weigh yourself or you go to the toilet and brush your teeth. What do you do after you finish your dishes for dinner? You stick them in the dishwasher. Like simple, you don't think about that. It becomes unconscious. So if we can learn to love the process, take our time with it all, everything becomes a habit. Everything becomes easy. We can make smart food choices, steps, being out, being super active, our workouts, all of these things are habit. It becomes easy, means you can stick to it. And if you stick to it, what you get? Freaking class results. Okay, so just honestly, take your time with things, learn to love the process. Remember, don't you don't need to get in from A to B as quick as possible. If you then go from let's say let's say go from one to two, if you then go back to minus five straight after because you've tried to do it too quickly. Like think about sustainability, set yourself up for success, and just enjoy the process big time. That's a really good one, Joe. I like that one. Um, and I'll touch on one more, which I don't think we kind of really spoken about. This is more something which I have noticed in the last kind of year or so. Um, more because like, you know, me, I can become like a workaholic and things like that. And I'll just put my head down and go, um, is actually neglecting your sleep. Like, honestly, guys, if you want to completely transform your life and quality of life, performance, relationships, literally anything, sleep seven to nine hours a night and then come back to me and tell me it didn't make things feel better. Um, we like, it comes back to like wanting more from less the whole I'll sleep when I die phrase is freaking bullshit if you want productivity you want results you want performance you want any of those things sleep is literally your foundations okay if we relate it to kind of fitness this is what I say to people is like you've got your two pillars which is your kind of training and nutrition you can't lay pillars without a foundation and what is your foundation sleep okay um sleep's massive i know johnny's had some issues with his sleep so i'll let him run a little bit from here what are some of the things that you've done to kind of help improve it so for me like i remember especially being at university kind of thing like we'd go out at least two three times a week kind of thing and my sleep pattern would just be destroyed like i'd get up for a lecture i'd come home like maybe have a nap or something 
not be able to sleep the next night and then the next night like I'm going out again so definitely university like my sleep pattern was absolutely destroyed kind of thing and that like carried on as you say like it was a bad habit to get into yeah and that carried on like when I came home kind of thing I'd sleep in late I'd get up at like 11 o'clock and go oh yeah like let's go up and do something and then go to bed really late um and it's now a case for me of especially within the last kind of six months to eight months is massively prioritizing myself and as you said those nutrition and the training aspects just aren't as good if you don't have that foundation of sleep um so for me like to improve it i was like right let's get a good habit of going to bed waking up at the same time so for me that would be um actually turning off my apps or my phone um at 10 o'clock that just airplane mode's an amazing thing (laughs) yeah that's the thing you can set a time now um on your iphones where all the apps just switch off um from like 10 till 7 um so for me like that meant right can't be on my phone anymore let's Mm -hmm. go to bed so i'd go upstairs and get into that habit get into that routine of brushing my teeth maybe putting on a podcast that was the only app that was allowed on my phone was a podcast (laughs) um listen whilst you you step podcasts uh maybe <laughs> <laughs> listening to yourself are you we, we don't want to cheat on you mate we wouldn't want to cheat oh, on you um but yeah putting a little podcast on and then like lying in bed kind of thing in a nice dark room with no lights anywhere like, i think that was the biggest thing of actually you can see the tv like over my shoulder but i wish i hadn't had that in my room um purely because it's there it's a distraction if you turn it on it means then my eyes are active my brain's active i've got blue light and i'm not going to be able to sleep um, so it's that big thing of going to bed, nice, cold, dark room, nothing kind of to stimulate you. And mm-hmm. actually then being able to sleep from 11 all the way through till seven. Um, so with like sleeping through, I think the biggest thing I found to start with was that you'd get up and go to the toilet and I would hate this. Um, water, man. Yeah, I remember I used to like lie in bed, kind of a wet, half awake kind of thing, going, "Well, really need the toilet. Let's just see if I can get through to the morning." <laughs> and I'd spend like another ten minutes, like, "Oh," and eventually get up and go. But it was that thing of, right, well, what can I do to prevent myself getting up? And of course, like you need w- water for like your sleep to help your sleep and your mood and stuff. But I was like, right, let's just move my water a bit earlier in the day. Um, so f- for me, I know I need to get my five liters in, but I'll get my five liters in between seven and five and eight o'clock. So at eight o'clock, I'll stop drinking water because then I know that I'm hydrated, I'm good, but I don't need to wake up during the night. Um, it's kind of the little things. And then the last little kind of cherry on top kind of I got myself was some blue light blockers. Yeah, um, I, especially I like the blue light blockers for me and my family kind of thing. Like we always love to watch a bit of TV in the morning, uh, in the evenings kind of thing after everyone's like relaxed and done for work. So it was that thing of, well, I'm looking at a screen for about six, seven hours, kind of like this really isn't good and healthy. So just buying some blue light blockers, which is basically just like some glasses and they just block out the blue light. Um, definitely helped kind of made me feel like nice and drowsy kind of in the evenings yeah along time. with along with kind of those main pillars of getting in that good sleeping habit from sleeping from 11 till 7 yeah for sure um mate that's the first kind of places i started just a regular sleeping routine just for those 
those people who don't know out there, well, one, I'm going to, I want to do another podcast on sleep because sleep's absolutely essential. And like I said, it really is your kind of foundations. Blue light, basically blue lights emitted from kind of phone screens, TV screens, all those sort of things. Blue light suppresses the production of something called melatonin in our brains. Melatonin basically is like a, a hormone. We can call it, we'll call it a hormone um, to basically allow us to get to sleep and stay, into it, stay in a deep sleep. Okay. So, so having watching screens or being on your phone before bed, your body can't release melatonin. You can't get into a decent sleep. Okay. Very, very briefly touching on things there. Well, like I said, we'll go into things in a, in a bit deeper in, a, in another podcast, but um, honestly, we'll start to wrap up there. I think a lot of people have taken a lot away from today. We've got nearly an hour, hours worth of stuff there. So, um, people are going to be stepping a lot whilst they're listening to this. Um, but honestly, thank you very much for kind of coming on. Just to kind of briefly recap everything. Because I, I, if you're anything like me, I like conclusions. And it's basically going to be do what works for you. Don't fall for any kind of bullshit fads that are out there. Find something that works for you. Stay consistent and don't try and rush it. Fall in love with the process. And then just make sure that you do reach out to people and ask for help. Okay, there are people that are better than you. This isn't some kind of sales thing like where I'm telling everyone to message us for coaching. This is me just saying, reach out to people, ask questions. If you're in the gym and you see someone and you know they're super knowledgeable, just go, oh, hey, mate, like, do you mind giving me a little bit of advice on my deadlift? Like, what can I do better? Like, reach out to people, help. Generally, people are quite nice. Obviously, there's the odd asshole, but just reach out and help people. Like, honestly, you'll make some awesome friends as well. And touching on that, the kind of next episode is going to be all about your kind of inner circle and how it's so important to surround yourself with awesome kind of like-minded people. And Danny and Will were coming on, and they're two people that we wouldn't even know if it wasn't to do with the gym. So go out there, make some mates. Uh, find people who are like-minded and honestly you'll have an awesome time um, again thank you very much Johnny do you want to just let people know where they could maybe follow you on Instagram or something like that and then see you say see you later yeah so if you want to follow me it's at Johnny Glendelen um, Glendelen's a bit of an iffy spelling probably for most people <laughs> but I'm it's sure they can work it out if they just give uh, give you a little follow first and they'll probably see my name yeah. attached to most of the posts or post the likes <laughs> As, as, when we were younger, Johnny was called Glenn Ding Ding. <laughs> Good old Glenn Ding Ding, wasn't it? Yeah, after someone couldn't spell or pronounce my name. Cuff me. Guilty. Now, honestly, thank you very much, mate. Um, guys, hope you all enjoyed this episode. If you could just give it a share on your Instagram stories, give it a print screen or screenshot, anything like that, I'd really, really appreciate it. And I will see you in the next one, which is all about your inner circle.